Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yep. He did it again. One of the presidents of a big country stood up and said, Well, sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? I said, you didn't pay? You're delinquent? No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You got to pay. You got to pay your bills. Donald Trump is doubling down. If last week's episode freaked you out, when we talked about how Europe is pretty much unprepared to defend itself without U.S. help, well, that possibility is only looking more likely. Trump's latest comments sent shockwaves through European capitals, with EU leaders and NATO Secretary Jens Stoltenberg expressing shock, anger, and disbelief. NATO cannot be a la carte military alliance. Come on, let's be serious. Any statement of that sort needs to be recognized with the danger that it brings. Any suggestion that we are not standing up for each other, that does undermine the security of all of us. As he prepares to face off against Trump one more time, the current president, Joe Biden, also got pretty angry. For God's sake, it's dumb, it's shameful, it's dangerous, it's un-American. When America gives us word, it means something. And NATO is a sacred commitment. I'm Sarah Wheaton, host of EU Confidential. In this episode, we'll bring you war and some love. Yes, we'll get Europe's reaction to Trump's latest comments on NATO, and we'll zoom into the unexpected political scandal that has toppled two of Viktor Orban's loyalists in Hungary. But since it's Valentine's week, we thought we'd bring you something a little lighter, but also profoundly political. We'll be talking with a professional matchmaker based here in Brussels. She'll tell us how sexual politics have and have not changed in the 2020s especially in power centers like Brussels. I think there's a few places in the world that could be like Brussels, but not quite, because I think maybe Washington is a little bit like Brussels, yet Brussels has an additional multicultural diversity, which can be even harder. Sometimes it's fantastic, but it's also a lot of people who are all highly educated, multilingual. That can be actually quite hard, you know, to sort of mingle all that. But first, back to geopolitics. So here in studio, I'm joined by Stuart Lau, who covers NATO for Politico. Hi, Stuart. Hello, Sarah. And joining me from Paris is Clea Kalka. Hello. And Matt Karnichnig in Berlin. Hi, Matt. 
Guten Morgen. Guten Morgen. So let's start with you, Matt. Last week, we talked about Donald Trump. Maybe he's a fan of the show, maybe not. But he made even more crazy comments. He even suggested that perhaps Putin should consider attacking NATO countries that do not contribute enough to defense. Matt, what are you hearing in Berlin in reaction to that? Well, people are losing it, obviously, even though... He really has signaled this in the past. It's not that much of a surprise or shouldn't be to people, given that he apparently told Ursula von der Leyen just this a couple of years ago. But this is the first time I think that he has said it so publicly and so forcefully. So it really reminded people again that this kind of sense of security that they felt over the past couple of years since Biden came into office in Germany and Europe was really misplaced because there's a fairly good chance that Trump could become the next U.S. president. And if he does, you know, NATO would be probably on its last legs. Do you get the sense that anything kind of concrete is going to change? I think that we could see the beginning of something concrete starting to happen. I think that right at the moment, people are really in a phase of shock over insulting and the way in which he made these comments. I think even by Trump's standards, I think many, many Germans were were just appalled to hear what he, what he had to say about leaving allies in the lurch and encouraging the Russians to move into their countries. You know, Germany is a, a kind of a slow moving place, though, as you know. So I don't think that anything is going to happen overnight. But I do think that slowly a debate is starting about what Germany needs to do what Europe needs to do in terms of defending itself because it's become clear to the you know sort of last people who were in denial about this that they're not going to be able to count on the United States or they they can't assume that they will be able to count on the United States because even if Biden wins the next election who's to say that somebody like Trump won't be back in a few years making similar sounds about NATO. So if you're if you're Germany or if you're a European country it's become very risky to assume as they've been able to for the past 75 plus years that the United States will be there to protect them. That's off the table now. Got it. Thanks, Matt. And Clea, how about in Paris? I mean, Macron has called NATO brain dead in the past. Is it body dead too now? Yeah, those comments have come back to to haunt us. I mean, there's definitely shock and dismay in Paris. I would say it's less than in Berlin. Speaking to officials, some are saying, oh, this is campaign speak. Let's see later. France is in a little bit of a different situation to Germany in that it's got its own nuclear arsenal. It's, um, you know, invested in its own, albeit much, 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 much smaller army. And it's odd because there is almost gleeful, we sort of told you so, you know, we told you that Europe should invest in its strategic autonomy and that basically France has won the ideological battle on this. The problem is that France and strategic autonomy, it's a lot of words, but what exactly does it mean in terms of, you know, actual investments in armed forces and, and, you know, actually boosting European defence? I think that's really the problem here, that there's been this disconnect between the rhetoric and what countries have actually done, because even as Macron has obviously been talking about strategic autonomy for some time, but Angela Merkel also said some years ago, famously, that Germany and Europe needed to stop depending on the United States to the degree that it had been doing. This was seen as sort of a first step towards a more independent European defense 
infrastructure and then nothing happened and nothing has has really happened since but i think anybody who thinks that this is just campaign rhetoric is deluding themselves because at the end of the last trump presidency he tried to pull out 10,000 troops from germany and the only reason that didn't happen was because he lost the election and the biden administration reversed the decision so this is something that has been a bee in Trump's bonnet for a very long time. He is convinced that Europe has been ripping off the United States. And I think that he's he's definitely going to push forward towards uh, defunding NATO and if not uh, getting out of NATO altogether, which he seriously contemplated the last time he was president. But at the same time, if I'm not mistaken, Trump was going to move those troops to Poland. And Poland is certainly a country that has been focusing more on its defense. And we even heard Donald Tusk, the prime minister, say this week that Europe needs to really boost its military capacity in order to be credible. We saw this effort to kind of resurrect the Weimar Triangle this week. That's where we heard those comments. Claire, what even is the Weimar Triangle? Can you explain this? So the Weimar Triangle is post-Cold War diplomatic format between Poland, France and Germany. And it was seen as something that after the Cold War that could kind of get the East-West dynamic working. And it completely went into deep freeze when the Nationalist Law and Justice Party came to power in Poland. And there were deep tensions between France and Poland. We remember the uh, a couple of years ago, the Polish PM criticizing Macron for talking to Putin and saying, would you talk to Hitler? Uh, relations were bad between Poland and Germany as well. So that, w- that went off. But now we have Prime Minister Donald Tusk back in power. And we had him visiting Paris on Monday. And it was like old friends hugging Emmanuel Macron, the French president saying, welcome back, Donald. Donald saying, so pleased to be here. You know, we can really make our, you know, sort of trio work again. Is there any sense that that's going to happen? So we had a meeting of their foreign ministers in Paris where they talked a good talk about the Weimar format and how they were going to work on boosting defence and that it was great because you had represented round the table a quarter of the spending on defence. And so, you know, in the wake of Trump's comments, there's a real drive there. But for the moment, we're not seeing much. And officials behind the scenes say, it's coming, it's coming. This is the moment to symbolically mark that the Weimar Triangle is back, but action will come later. Stuart, let's pull you in here. Uh, NATO defense ministers will have already been meeting for a few days here in Brussels by the time this conversation uh, airs. What's your sense of the mood over at NATO HQ? The mood is about a little bit of confusion, of course, confusion about what more can be done to beef up Ukraine's support at a time when the U.S. Congress is still in the process of trying to approve the funding. It is also a bit of confusion about what the future looks like for the alliance, given what Trump has been saying to the allies and to his electorates, of course. Still, I think they are trying to, especially for the European allies, they're really trying to come up with additional proposals about what specific Items can be added to what we call the Rammstein format, which is a group of NATO allies and other partners in support of Ukraine. So obviously you'll hear questions to Jens Stoltenberg, the Secretary General at the press conferences about what the US former President Trump was saying and what that means for the alliance. And also looking forward to Stoltenberg's successor himself, because of course he'll be stepping down in October And uh, I think it's now quite clear that the Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte is 
the most likely candidate to succeed him. We're hearing that Turkey uh, has a little bit of reservation, has a little bit of extra asks for Rutte before they will be able to confirm him. We'll still see a lot of politics going on. Looking forward in the next few months. And Ruta's sort of um, apparent fait accompli ascension to this role is interesting, given that the Netherlands is one of the countries that's not spending 2% of GDP on defense. Has this been an issue at all? It has, actually. So I think that was one of the um, criticisms from especially the border countries. On the other hand, the Netherlands is also telling allies that they've also been doing a lot on Ukraine providing the F-16 training program for Ukrainian pilots, for example, which they're leading alongside other allies, being supportive on, you know, extra EU funds for Ukraine, so on and so forth. So they do have something to show to the allies, but the 2% GDP problem, which Trump is using a lot these days, is going to stick around. I mean, Matt, what's your take on this kind of big picture NATO leader debate? I mean, I don't think it really matters at this point who becomes the next leader of NATO because NATO's future has been called into question in such a fundamental way. And again, the United States has stood behind NATO from the very beginning, regardless of who was president of the United States. There was no question that the United States would live up to its Article 5 commitments to come to the aid of other countries if they were attacked. Now, that is no longer certain. And Europe if it wants to avoid potential domination by Russia, is going to need to come up with a plan B because it's otherwise just too risky. Maybe everything will be fine. Maybe Biden will win the next election. But there's a good chance that less than a year from now, Donald Trump could be president. So Europe needs to start dealing with its own security and has to just wake up to the fact that it cannot rely on the United States. And that's going to have long-term impact for NATO, whether Ruta is there or or somebody else. Clea? Yeah. So it's interesting what you're saying about the demise of NATO, more or less. France has been very careful in what they're saying not to lean into that because they've had a lot of flack in the past for saying, oh, NATO's not working, NATO's brain dead. And so at the moment, they know that it could seriously backfire if they say, oh, NATO isn't working. And so they're pushing for, you know, more strategic autonomy in Europe, more investment, borrowing, things like that, while saying, don't worry, this is not against NATO. This is absolutely in line with our NATO commitments, because even though they know that that conversation, and that's what everybody is talking about at the moment. I think the big problem, though, here is that stepping in and talking about strategic autonomy requires such a massive shift in people's mindset. I don't think that we're anywhere near that yet. The United States spends something like $700 billion on defense. Europe combined, the European members of NATO, spend something like $300 billion. So they're going to have to fill a pretty substantial gap there. And it's not just about money. It's, it's also about cooperation and about the nuclear issue and on and on and on. And they haven't really even begun to address these issues yet. The Munich Security Conference is coming up starting on Friday, I believe. That's the type of place where we sort of expect uh, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky to show up and make his pitch again. Matt, what concrete signs are you going to be looking for coming out of that conference? Well, I think it's going to be really interesting to see if some of the big European voices acknowledge that the security environment in Europe has fundamentally changed now. 
that they need to not just talk about strategic autonomy, but they need to start investing in it in a big way because as we've, as we've been discussing, or as I've been arguing, it's just too risky to continue to rely on the United States. And I'm curious to see what the United States representatives have to say. I think they're not going to be sending as, as many people there as were anticipated so that you know we, we might not get a lot of answers from the United States about how they see the situation. But there's going to definitely be a lot of pearl clutching on the part of the Europeans about the U.S. role in NATO. And, you know, Zelensky used to command these sort of rapturous audiences. Everybody would want their picture taken with him, and he could give these sort of searing country-specific moral pleas for supporting Ukraine. Does he still have the same sway? I think he has sway, but I don't think he has the same kind of star power that he did at the beginning because they've seen him so often. He's been fairly overexposed, if you will, in the last few years because he's he's constantly going to these things. He's constantly speaking to various parliaments and governments, and they've, they've heard what he has to say. They understand the dire straits that his country is in. Clear. Yeah. And I think what one of the issues here is that we're in campaign mode. We are approaching European elections. Countries like France are really looking to pan-European projects, pan-European borrowing, these types of things, because, you know, they're cash-strapped, their budgets, they've got massive deficits. And so all that conversation is going to be very difficult, if not impossible, at the moment as we're staring ahead to European elections. And that it could only happen, some people say, at least here, after when we've got a new commission that can put new proposals on the table. I mean, obviously, that doesn't stop nations from doing things. You know, Munich is one of those moments when, you know, you can test that. Bringing up elections is a great segue to actually checking back in with Stuart on a completely different topic. Another thing that we've discussed on this podcast is sort of the tense relationship between Viktor Orban and uh, the rest of the EU leaders, how Hungary has prevented unified action on Ukraine and other major issues. But now suddenly Orban has been seeing some political problems at home and Stuart happened to be in Budapest and covered it for Politico. We just saw the president resign. We saw another major political figure, Judith Varga, also have to step down. What happened, Stuart? I mean, my travel plan didn't actually go as planned. So I was initially <laughs> planning to go to Budapest to cover what the parliament was planning to do vis-a-vis the Swedish accession to NATO's bid. And then some journalists on the ground told me that there will actually be a huge protest outside the presidential office. So I went. Catalina Vag, the then president, was actually not there because she was in the Middle East somewhere to watch some sports program for the Hungarian team. So, of course, there was already a lot of political scandal about her decision to pardon somebody who was convicted of covering up for a sexual predator in a children's home. That got revealed. And so it was like a huge blow to Fidesz, the party, uh, in terms of popularity, in terms of the public sentiment. And so people were protesting outside her residence. And then the next day, all of a sudden, she resigned as soon as she flew back. 
alongside, as you said, the former Justice Minister Varga, and she was initially supposed to be the leading candidate in、uh, Fidesz's candidates list in the European Parliament elections. So, of course, you know we're now going to see who's going to replace her. But it's an interesting time to see how Orban just made very swift decision to let two of his most important supporters go in just a weekend. So, Matt, let me end there with you. I mean, just stepping back, is this a real threat to Orban, or is is he untouchable? I don't think he's untouchable. This is certainly a massive blow to him, and it's a massive blow to Fidesz because. Varga was one of the most recognizable members of the party. She was a star in the party, and many people thought that she would one day possibly succeed Orban. Even so, to lose her is really a massive blow. And now the two most prominent women in the party in Hungarian politics really are gone overnight, and that's also a problem. For Orban and his Fidesz party, because they don't have、uh, very many women, to be honest. So this is pretty devastating on a number of levels, and it shows that despite what some people in Europe and、uh, in the United States might think, Orban's grip on power is not as tight. Well, that's a good place to leave it. So thank you so much, Matt. Thank you, Clea. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Sarah. And Stuart, thanks for coming into the studio. Thanks for having me. So yeah, as we just heard, politics is a rough business. Can make you just wanna curl up with someone special, but that's not so easy to find these days. Brussels is a town of big dreams, big ideas, and bigger egos. Here at Politico, we're interested in powerful people and what makes them tick. So in honor of Valentine's Day, we sat down with a Brussels matchmaker named Marjorie Liborel to talk about making connections in an era of political polarization and changing gender roles. So stick around through the break. It's actually a pretty provocative conversation. Trust me, you should stay with us. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite. Of what big wireless does, they charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash-switch. Forty-five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now save fifty percent on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm joined here in the studio with Marjorie Liborel, and you are the founder of ML Introductions, and you're. A matchmaker, you know, maybe some people have seen Indian Matchmaker or Jewish Matchmaker on Netflix, so we think of this as like the old grandmother in the village who's had the skill passed down over generations. You are a young woman sitting here with me. What does a, being a modern matchmaker today mean? 
being a matchmaker today is making sure that you make genuine connections happen between people who are sometimes or very often tired of swiping on the apps or feeling lonely. Yes, so this is sort of combining traditional approach and also modern techniques. I mean, understanding modern societies and the modern requirements of what is being single today. So who are your clients and why are they coming to you? My clients now, I've adapted this business model where they're actively men. So I work actively for men. And a lot of them are startup owners, EU workers, EU lawyers, CEOs, a lot of them, whether that is in the private sector, in real estate. I also have dentists, doctors, liberal professions, a lot of them. So today my youngest client is 28 and the oldest must be 68. They want discretion confidentiality and they also so tired of the apps so they want someone who does the work for them of pre-vetting and does all the pre-selection of making sure that they might actually have a really interesting conversation I don't guarantee love because this is not exact science but I guarantee good quality introductions with interesting people coming with similar values and similar interests and educational level because that is important you're working with very successful people here in Brussels people who have gotten where they are by being very persuasive, by being very charismatic. Do these qualities kind of help their success in love? So it's different if we talk about men and women. A charismatic man with, you know, great aura and warmth and amazing leadership skills will come to us and he will be snapped pretty quickly. (laughs) Some men, however, are very successful at work and yet do not have these qualities and they struggle in a dating life. And the challenge for us and for me as a matchmaker is when you meet an individual with outstanding business acumen or really great intelligence, but who doesn't ooze the necessary skills to succeed as a partner. And I can see that right away. And this is about the client to be ready to open up and work with me. And this is where the challenge sometimes happens. And I'm very honest and I do not want to work or I cannot work if someone doesn't collaborate with me. I can't just bring a match on the plate. Yeah, so the skills required to succeed in dating are vulnerability, showing emotions, charisma, aura. Uh, Right now, a colleague and I are working on a list of Brussels power couples. And these are people where the men and the women both have pretty high-powered jobs. Is that what we sort of see now? Are these kind of two elites matching up? Or is it more sort of an opposites attract thing? I think there's both. From experience, I can tell that most of my male clients do not really care if the woman is a CEO of a big company. You don't measure the status of a woman by this, what Jordan Peterson calls economic viability or social status. Actually, people say that sometimes it could be a negative correlation. My clients all want someone that they can have an interesting conversation with and where they are stimulated. A woman has to have passions and, you know, her own passions and intellect, of course, and being intelligent. But it doesn't necessarily mean, as I said, managing a major company. One of my latest example is I rematched people who had met at high school and they both went separate ways for 20 years, got married, had kids. Through us or through me, we um, sort of reconnected them and uh, they're both extremely successful. So that's one example. But another example plenty of of men who actually are super happy with women working in middle management just because they have the right skills though to be good partners. Is there something in particular about Brussels that makes it a unique place to be dating or that makes it harder or easier for people to meet each other? I think there's a few places in the world that could be like Brussels but not quite because I think maybe Washington is a little bit like Brussels yet Brussels has an additional multicultural diversity which can be even harder Sometimes it's fantastic, but it's also a lot of people who are all highly educated, 
multilingual. They come from Collège d'Europe or great universities in Europe or in the world, but they also have their own cultural specificities. And that can be actually quite hard, you know, to sort of mingle all that. And there is a big sense of uprootedness as well, not really knowing where one comes from anymore. There is all these intercultural difficulties sometimes to navigate. And we're hearing also about how political polarization is affecting the way people date, you know, on apps where people can list their political views. Sometimes you see, if you have this political opinion, swipe left. Is that affecting your work? More and more, especially in Brussels. I just lately had a request from a man who is quite a conservative in England and doesn't really like the EU. He wanted to date someone who is not too leftist. I can get that. And that's completely doable. It doesn't mean actually he was okay not to have the exact same like person with the same beliefs. But of course, you cannot match a Marxist and a, and a Tory. That doesn't just doesn't work. I wouldn't do it. I'm all pro-diversity. I think today there is a strong sense of narcissism when one wants to date mirrors of oneself. And I try to change that. I think the values, the political beliefs cannot be too far away from each other. The gains are slow, but we are seeing women become more successful in boardrooms, in politics. Uh, there are all these statistics that more women are graduating from university than men. How is this affecting kind of your work and the way that you manage? people. I'm going to say something that might be a little bit politically incorrect, but the sort of emancipation of women has become an issue when it comes to dating and finding a partner. And I feel many women might agree with me. Most traditional matchmaking agencies accept both men and women on equal terms, you know, but in the reality, we know that women, maybe there is internal need for security or I don't know, but they're more eager to pay for those services by nature. So if you don't do anything, you get yourself with a database of 70% of women and 30% of men. The problem, though, is that most of our female clients are highly accomplished, educated women, yet they aspire to what we call in sociology hypergamy, which is dating in a higher social hierarchy, yet they are very educated themselves. So the pool of candidates become very short, very much narrower. So what I decided to do is to work actively for men and women register in the guest network. So how does this look in practice in the end? You have this database of women, you have some successful men that you're work working for who are not necessarily as concerned about social status. So is it just like the hottest women in your database you pair up with the guys? No, no, no. Because a lot of men actually don't want just a trophy wife. First of all, I just collect data, pictures, social media access. I see, you know, the metrics, you know, age, what are you looking for, etc. When I think someone could be interesting, first I look at the hard data, you know, age, location, and then I ask them for an interview. I ask them questions about, you know, their wishes. If my client really wants kids, for example, some women today are not really into having kids anymore. And there is also a strong sense of intuition. So I look at other aspects, not just the hottest woman in the room. So I can imagine some of our listeners hearing this, feeling maybe anger, maybe frustration about the lack of progress on gender equality. How has this affected your perception of kind of gender politics? I'm not here to sort of put a judgment on what's happening, but matchmaking is my laboratory. So I'm just here to state what I see and what I've seen for multiple years. And yes, yeah, sadly, I don't think we're as advanced as we think we are. But from both sides. So women and men, I can actually summarize quite frankly what women and men are after. And uh, women are also after someone with a, a high social status. And men are after particular attributes, attractivity, youth. They are sadly the main attributes for a woman, but also intellect. Also, if they want to have kids, care, generosity. And women, on the other hand, want a sense of protection. Or maybe they want to compensate for 
the economic disparity that they get when they have kids by marrying a man with important resources, economic resources. It's very traditional, but this is it. And I do hope things change, but we need to change on both sides. Marjorie, it's Valentine's Day week, so I'm sure it's extra busy time for you right now. Thanks so much for coming by. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thanks very much. So as I mentioned in our conversation, I have a list of Brussels power couples that I curated with Politico's Eddie Wax. We'll add a link in our show notes. So on behalf of the whole EU Confidential team, I'd like to wish everyone lots of love. Thanks for all the little love notes and messages we've been getting. Keep sending them to podcast at politico.eu. Also, do follow and rate us on your favorite app. I'm Sarah Wheaton. Thanks to our executive producer for audio, Christina Gonzalez, and Diana Sturris, our senior audio producer. See you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.